before we get started, I just wanted to acknowledge the crazy world that we're living in right now. Everyone is working from home, we're all in isolation, and we're trying to figure out what that means for our jobs and businesses. But the real heroes of this crisis are on the front lines, in our hospitals, trying to save lives. And if that's you, I want you to know that everyone here at Moonshot and Lawson Media really appreciates what you're doing. And as most of you are right now sitting at home, I want to encourage you to spend some time checking out new podcasts. Catch up on episodes that you may have missed or try something new. It's an easy way to throw your support behind the podcast community. I also wanted to let you know that our new merch store is still open for business. If you want to get your hands on some great Moonshot swag, head to podmerch.co. All profits we make from the sale of our merchandise will support the ongoing development of our content through this very challenging time. So that's podmerch.co. Now, on with the show. If you watch just about any sport on television, you're probably familiar with the instant replay – We take it for granted these days, but since it debuted on a CBS telecast of an American college football game in 1963, it has changed the way that we experience sports. As the technology improved, it was only a matter of time before it was used by officials to make decisions on the field. The NFL first experimented with video review for pre-season games in 1978. Team owners then voted in favour of its introduction in 1986 for the regular season. So the use of the instant replay on the third play from scrimmage in the new year already... The new rule in the National Football League, use of an instant replay official, has given the Browns a touchdown on another wide... That particular system lasted until 1991, before it was reintroduced in 1999. Throughout the 90s and early 2000s, other sports followed with similar video replay systems, including ice hockey, basketball and baseball. Video technology then took an even greater leap with the arrival of the ball tracking system known as Hawkeye, first in 2001 in cricket and then tennis the following year. Like traditional instant replay, it was initially for television broadcasts only, but was swiftly adopted by governing bodies and tournaments to assist officials. Hawkeye's on-court debut came at the Hopman Cup in January 2006, with players given a limited number of challenges per set to dispute a call. It then made its Grand Slam debut at the US Open later that year, and ever since, Hawkeye has become an accepted part of professional tennis. But even today, video replay technology isn't perfect. This is Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and in part two of our look at how technology is changing sports, we turn our attention to officiating. Should we embrace human error, or are we moving towards a future where every decision is made by a computer? Our sports expert, producer James Parkinson, has this story. 
While many sports have been using instant replay and similar systems for a number of years, the world's most popular sport was the most reluctant to introduce technology. For a game that prides itself on its beauty and simplicity, football's governing body FIFA had long resisted altering its traditions. And just a side note that from now on in this episode, when we refer to football, we're talking about association football, or soccer. Now, eventually things did change with the approval of goal line technology in 2012. Some competitions like England's Premier League use Hawkeye, while others like the World Cup use goal control. Both of these systems work in a similar way, using high-speed cameras to track the trajectory of the ball and detect whether it's crossed the goal line. We'll come back to Hawkeye shortly, but as sports history has shown, once a piece of technology has been introduced, more developments tend to follow. And after a significant two-year trial process in various leagues and competitions, a video review system was finally approved for soccer, the Video Assistant Referee, or VAR. In terms of VAR, it's obviously a lot more difficult to, to say that technology works because there's, there's a lot of human decision-making within that process, uh, subjective decisions within that process. And so there are always going to be errors within those processes with VAR because human decision-making is involved. This is Tom Webb. I'm a senior lecturer in sports management um, at the University of Portsmouth in the UK. And my research focuses around referees and match officials in sport. In football, VAR is used to adjudicate four scenarios where clear and obvious errors have occurred. Goals, penalties, direct red cards, where a player is instantly removed from the game for an offence, and mistaken identity, where the referee cautions or sends off the wrong player. The IFAB, the body who manages the laws of the game, define their philosophy for this technology as minimum interference, maximum benefit. But since the rollout of VAR to competitions around the world, its implementation has been strongly criticised, and it hasn't quite delivered on its promise to eliminate those obvious errors. Part of the problem is the way the technology is used can vary between different leagues. There are questions over that. So, you know, uniformity, you know, should it be the same in whatever league it's introduced? What FIFA have done is they've, through the IFAB, the the body that makes the laws of the game and amends the laws of the game, they've given a set of guidelines. Now, within those guidelines, there is room for manoeuvre. So the Premier League in England, for example, has taken a different approach. So they don't use pitch side monitors. So referees are instructed by the VAR officials at Stockley Park in, in England, and those decisions are then relayed on the pitch and given. So they don't go and check the monitors. In other leagues, they do check the pitch side monitors. So there are some discrepancies between competitions as well, and I think that doesn't always help referees. In most cases, the pitch side monitors are in place at Premier League stadiums, but referees have been encouraged not to use them to avoid delays and maintain the pace of the game. Instead, another official in a remote location who's observing the broadcast footage from multiple angles judges the incident and gives their verdict to the referee via an earpiece. The issue, as Tom mentioned, is that it still comes down to an interpretation of the rules, and many people see this as a major flaw, including Harry Collins. It just doesn't work. You know, you could predict that it wouldn't work, because 
refereeing is not a matter of exact accuracy. It's a matter of good and acceptable judgment. Harry is a professor of social sciences at Cardiff University in the UK and a passionate sports fan. He's also co-author of the book Bad Call, Technology's Attack on Referees and Umpires and How to Fix It. Somebody has to judge the intention. And that intention can only be judged, you know, with, with reasonable justice in the course of the game. And now the whole thing has turned back to sort of replays upon replays and measurement upon measurement, which has tried to turn it into an exact science. And there's no such thing as an exact science. There are also criticisms over reviewing footage in slow motion because it can make things look quite different to how they played out in real time. Bad Call was published in 2016 before VAR was introduced and in the book, Harry and his co-authors argued that the problem with incorrect decisions in sports like cricket and football came down to justice. The basic problem is people seeing incorrect you know, glaringly incorrect refereeing mistakes. And it's that that needed to be put right. And we argued that this could mostly be put right in a pretty simple way. And that is just by making television replays available to the umpire or to an assistant umpire or referee. But what we're seeing now is an over-analyzing of replays, which Harry says is the wrong approach. He believes that video reviews should simply be a tool to help referees rectify their own errors, taking a brief moment to look at the replay and make a decision. The moment you bring in additional officials that aren't on the pitch in the heat of the moment, you're just opening it up to further interpretation. And adding all these layers of analysis through technology is trying to be too accurate. And coming up after the break, we look at one of the most controversial aspects of VAR and a crucial flaw in video technology. This new dominance of video review technology in soccer is evident in how VAR is adjudicating offside calls that lead to a goal being scored. And just for the uninitiated, a player is in an offside position if, when the ball is played by a teammate, they are nearer to the opposition's goal line than both the ball and the second last opponent. Basically, it's meant to prevent players from just lingering in front of the goal and waiting for the ball to be passed to them. To breach the rule, a player must be deemed to be interfering with play. Now, it is a rule that's notorious for incorrect decisions, because so often the margins you're dealing with are incredibly tight. The play can unfold really quickly, and assistant referees, whose job it is to flag for offsides, might also have multiple players in their line of sight, and they have to make a decision in milliseconds. It's a tough job, so video technology is offering a solution here for getting those big calls correct. And in the Premier League, the VAR officials use Hawkeye to assess offside decisions, deploying what they call virtual offside line technology. We have two versions of the offside line. One of them uses a single camera to draw the the calibrated line. The other version uses multiple cameras to triangulate up 
part of the body. For instance, if a player is leaning forward, then it can triangulate up the head using multiple cameras. This can also help if a part of the body is, is obscured in one of the cameras, you always have at least two or three other cameras you can uh, use to make the decision. This is a video from FIFA TV, and in principle, it sounds kind of straightforward. But when the play is being analysed in such detail, down to the millimetre, is it giving too much weight to the technology? Here's Tom Webb. I think somewhere along the way, what's happened is it, the, the process has, has got a bit lost. So, which is why we're seeing all this debate about offside decisions and the, you know, the infinite replays and minutes taken to judge whether someone's onside or offside, and you know their their finger might be offside or you know something like that. Is that what we want? Is that sanitising it too much? The danger, of course, is that once the technology's there, it can be used in that way. So it's another argument then about how accurate it is and whether it's accurate enough to make those decisions on offsides, which again is a debate that's being had at the moment. But whenever that technology is introduced, the danger, if you like, or the, the temptation is to use it as much as you can. That doesn't mean that you should. On the question of accuracy, according to Hawkeye, the technology has an average accuracy of 3.6 millimetres. But the fact this is an average suggests there are errors, and Harry Collins discovered that that error rate is far greater than Hawkeye claims. Let's consider the offside decision. So what do they do? Pick the frame when the ball was kicked forward, and then they put a virtual line across the field to decide whether some part of the player's body is just ahead of that line or not. How do they pick the frame to look at? Suppose the frame speed of the cameras is 50 frames per second. How far can a fast-running footballer run in a 50th of a second? It's about a foot. So let's suppose that they pick correct frame the first frame where the footballer's, the kicker's foot is in contact with the ball. They pick the first of those frames. Now, that frame, the exactness can't be more than a 50th of a second because the exact position of that frame will depend upon the camera started rolling. And therefore, that frame, you can't know if it's the right frame to within a 50th of a second and the footballer, who's receiving the ball, would have moved a foot in that 50th of a second. This calculation, I discovered, is already in the newspapers or on the web, if you look it up. I did it for myself and then was horrified to discover it was already out there. And yet nobody's discussing this. They're still trying to measure offside to a millimetre or two. But you can't do it. Um, I think the same applies to goal line technology, even though everybody's very happy with that and think it works accurately. I don't think it does. Harry is also critical of Hawkeye's use in tennis, but he says that the way the system is used in cricket is more practical because the umpires take the error rate into account. Cricket does it sensibly by saying it's referee's call if the Hawkeye verdict is not more than half a ball out. And that's how it should be done in tennis. But it's not. So the public is being fooled to think that Hawkeye is as accurate as its graphics show it to be. As graphics are, of course, virtual reconstructions. Ultimately, the reason video review technology was introduced was to remove obvious errors from the game and help referees. So what do the referees think about all this? Here's Tom. 
if you speak to referees in in football, they they were all generally in agreement that they wanted that assistance, um, that they wanted to get those decisions correct, that they wanted the support that it gave them um, on the field. The concern with VAR is then how much does that detract from the on-field official in terms of their authority, decision-making, and that sort of thing. And that's something we're sort of grappling with a little bit at the moment. So I think they've sort of you know, embraced it. As I said, a lot of them, uh, certainly in the, the research we've done, we're quite happy to, to use more technology. Referees don't want to get decisions wrong. They want, they want to be correct in their decision-making. And VAR obviously gives them the opportunity to do that. So they've they've embraced it. They've tried to work with it. But like I say, it, it is difficult in terms of performance and how they might, they're being asked to change performance between competitions, um, whether that's a domestic league, European league, international competition, whatever that might be. And after this short break, the unintended side effects of video review technology. Introducing any video technology in sports always starts out with good intentions to correct wrong decisions. But in football, the video assistant referee is also starting to change the behaviour of players and coaches. So, you know, players acting slightly differently, asking for VAR to be employed, asking for the referee to refer to VAR, things like that. So, you know, slight changes in behaviour and coaches as well. We're seeing that on the touchline as well after a, a decision being given and they see a a replay or, or something like that, then they react differently to how they might. Um, so all these things on the pitch and off the pitch are things that referees have to deal with on a, you know, a consistent basis. So if technology isn't perfect and humans aren't perfect, obviously, why use technology in decision making at all? Why can't we seem to embrace human error in sports? That's the question. Do you want it to be perfect? Do you want you know, to try and eradicate these errors, which, which, you know, as I've touched on, is very, very difficult to do with the laws of the game as they stand. Players make mistakes, managers make mistakes, referees make mistakes. That's part of the game. That's what leads to goals quite often. You know, what are we saying? That players and managers can make mistakes, but referees can't? If we sort of strip it back, sport is, you know, you want it to be authentic. You want it to be something that you immerse yourself in, that, you know, people make errors. That's part of everyday life. It's part of sport. For Harry Collins, when technology in sports is taken too far, you lose the fundamentals of what makes it special. But for him, the solution to finding that balance is simple. It does take the passion out of the game, and it spoils the game for everybody. But you could still have referees and umpires check their decisions quickly. You'd say, you know, there's a clock ticking down for 20 seconds or something after you start looking at the replay. And that's all it takes to spot glaring errors, which is all we're interested in, really. We shouldn't be interested in exactness. We should be interested only in glaring errors. Dr Tom Webb says that moving forward, particularly in the case of VAR, expectations need to be managed. Governing bodies like FIFA and the Premier League need to get better at communicating the limitations of this technology and standardising protocols for how these systems are used. But if the current errors aren't addressed, 
what does the future of sports look like? That's the challenge, isn't it? You know, where's the, the cutoff point? Where do we stop? And that, and that was always, if you listen to, to FIFA, while they didn't implement things um, while other sports were, one of the one of the arguments was, well, well if we put it in, where, where do we stop? You know, if that works, you know, will people then call for this technology or that technology or the extension of this technology into this area of the game? Or, And I think that is the worry. Uh, it's the balance between the introduction of that technology, the use of that technology, and you don't want to move too far away from, you know, what that game represents historically and why people are invested in those sports. And, and, it, and that's the danger. If you if you go too far down that road with technology, it's very difficult to come back. Thanks to producer James Parkinson for his work on this episode. If you're a fan of football, I encourage you to check out James's podcast. It's called By Association, and it's a narrative podcast about football and the human connection behind the beautiful game. Moonshot is hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. James Parkinson scripted and produced this episode. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our artwork is by Andrew Millist. You can find us on social media, just search for Moonshot Pod. And remember, you can get your Moonshot merch at podmerch.co. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. Listener.